There's a lot to say when buying a new home or car, but only one thing to say that can help you protect them. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, a State Farm agent will be there to help you choose the coverage you need, no matter where you are in life. When you need coverage options, your State Farm agent is there to help, on the phone or in person. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code AUDIO to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code AUDIO at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code AUDIO. Welcome to the Nerds Podcast number 873. This is from Talking with Chris Hardwick episode with Jordan Peele, who was an incredible guest and has, I'm going to say, almost single-handedly changed the way films are going to be like this genre of films are going to be made uh, from here on out. But what an incredible achievement. I mean, between Key and Peele and now Get Out, uh, I, I adore this man. And and he's I'm, – I'm jealous of his incredible talent. Have you ever wanted to direct anything, Will? I have, and I've always been afraid to. TV's I've, Will Wheaton. I've, uh, I, I, I would never want to direct that guy because he wants to direct. Yeah. And they're the worst. <laughs> uh, yeah, actually, I have um, because one of the one of my problems as an actor is that I tend to get a little cerebral and overly analytical about things. Uh, as I think about how this is all going to like work together as a whole piece, that's great as a director, but it can inhibit a performance as an actor. Well, uh, he, I think Jordan would tell you you should use those analytical skills and direct because we talk about that very thing in this episode. Get out is currently available on digital download. And will be available on Blu-ray and DVD May 23rd. It's and he, so good. It's so great. And he actually talks about some alternate endings in this in this conversation. Oh. Some stuff he didn't shoot and then some stuff that they did shoot. So here we go. Um, talking with Chris Hardwick is on Sunday nights on AMC at 11 o'clock. Uh, our next guest is the, our guests, uh, the cast of Orange is the New Black. Uh, Get out. Fantastic. Yeah, they were all f- wonderful. Uh, so here we go. Nurse Podcast number 873. Katie. I see what you did there. By the way, thank you. I just I, I mean, didn't want to. Acknowledge- while, I know while I was I, I rolled past it pretty quickly. It was pretty good. It was pretty slick. Yeah. Uh, Katie, roll that thing. Now entering nerdist.com. Tonight, my guest has smashed cinematic records with his groundbreaking horror thriller comedy, Get Out. Not only was it a huge box office hit, but it was critically acclaimed, getting 99% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is damn near impossible. Uh, The film marked his directorial debut, and if that wasn't enough of an accomplishment, he also wrote and produced it. Uh, We're going to talk about what it's been like since Get Out has become the most talked-about film of the year, his hugely popular sketch comedy series, Key & Peele, that he created with Keegan-Michael Key, his background in improv, as well as his passions and his insights. It is my absolute pleasure to say that tonight, Jordan Peele will be talking with Chris Hardwick. We have heard you on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook using at Talking. I'll read your questions, comments, comments uh, that you sent to using a hashtag Talking Hard. We're going to see some video messages up here. People in the studio audience are going to ask questions. I'm going to give them things. You're and specific Jordan Peele fans. Yeah. Yeah. You're fans. And I, I am so delighted and honored that you came to do the show because... You were on the Nerdist podcast, literally, the, you, I think you left the podcast to go to the premiere of Get Out, yeah. something like that. Yeah, and then, I mean, that was, yeah, that was the day that uh, my life changed. It, it really great. did. Yeah. It, really no, did. I, it, it was so, it was such a, ama- I, I love talking to you about oh, thank it, by you. the way. That was like one of my favorite interviews I got to do because I, I got to nerd out. I mean, it was, it was, it was awesome. Well, also because, I mean, you, you, you really did invent a genre. And you were talking about it on the podcast when you said, you know, I, I really wanted, I loved this idea of a social thriller. Yeah. And then Get Out is made, I don't know, like $150 million or something crazy, some insane number like that? Some or is insane it, number, yeah. Uh, is it more than that? I, you know, it's, it's all in my bank account. You don't even know. So, <laughs> last time, so I'll check my video. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's. I think that, that that's very nice. I'm very strategic to like sort of coin the phrase social thriller for Get Out because. You know, it's like, you know, I realized I was making, I wasn't really a horror, wasn't really a psychological thriller. And so that was kind of what it was. But to be honest, there's been many, so, you know, Stepford Wives and Rosemary's Baby sure. I talk about all the time. Um, you know, they have that same quality where, you know, humanity itself is the villain. Right. Um, so, uh, so yeah. So I, 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 I did coin the term, but uh, I don't think I made the first social thriller. And, and in fact, I would say that, all the thrillers, all the horror movies that really hit and strike some kind of chord are appealing to us on some social level. But I think that's what's so, you know, interesting and also um, a bummer for humanity is, is how much this tapped into something that involves race relations and the way people communicate and the way... Uh, they exist in America today. So it is sort of a, hooray, oh, that's too bad. That's you know, bad. it's like, it's, it's kind of a bummer at the same time. Yeah, I mean, the, I think the, uh, I, and I think the hard part of, of doing it is that uh, doing the, the movie the way, the way I did it, where I'm diving straight into this very difficult uh, topic to discuss, right? Race is kind of a, it's, it's kind of a, a, a conversation killer in a lot of situations. Sure. And that was kind of the problem I was, I was looking to, to address. Like, that, why don't we have this um, expressed in a horror movie, in a modern horror movie? I think the difficult thing is when you make a movie that's hitting it right out the gate and the audience knows they're going to see something about race, that can go well or that can go bad. Sure. Um, you know, people, people can feel like, I don't want to go get preached at. Right. Um, uh, whereas if you, if you do a movie about UFOs and it sort of sub, uh, subconsciously taps to a, on our fears of invaders from a different uh, land, right. then you have a little bit of a smoother end. We're so. going to build a wall. Build a wall in space? That's We're right. going to build a space wall. Build a space wall. We're going to make the Martians pay for it. Whoa, hey, come on. <laughs> Take it easy. That's right. But uh, I, but you've seen the uh, you've seen the movie with a bunch of different audiences, and so do different do different demographics react to the film in different ways, or is it sort of do they respond uniformly? Well, first of all, like nothing is better than getting to watch an audience experience the film. Right. It's just the most it's the most uh, exhilarating feeling, satisfying thing to me. Um, and what I find is you know. The, the most interesting to me is mixed, mixed audiences. So, you know, like half white, half black or minority. Um, because, you know, you know, we deal with these sort of microaggressions in the movie and these, this idea of, you know, like, you know the, Chris, the main character of the, of the movie, at a certain point, he's at this party. And you have, he, he's surrounded by, you know, the, the, the grandfather's all friends, all a bunch of old white people, basically. And, uh, you know, everybody, the first thing they want to say to him is, is their, their connection with his blackness. Right. You know, so it's this, uh, you know, hey, you know, you know I, I, I love Tiger. <laughs> uh, I, I, love, I love Tiger Woods. And, and so, um, you know, those moments right there, that party is very fascinating to watch. Black people, I, I think, have this feeling where we, it's like, that's, that's something that's happened to us. Right. And, and, it's, and, and that feeling of isolation um, is, is very familiar. And I think that from the white side of the crowd, there's a recognition too, but maybe more of a, oh, have I done that? Well, also, because I, I think some white people approach black people like every black, like, like all black people work for the same company. I think the line is, if, you, if, you, if, if, you're, if you're a white person, if you see a black person, if the first thing that wants to come out of your mouth is something about black culture, right. maybe, you should, maybe, you should back maybe you should back away. And also... If it is the first thing that comes out of your mouth, cut your losses. Don't try to make it better. Don't like, try to yeah. make it better. You've yeah. already lost. Walk away. I'm just saying, two yeah. of my friends... Okay, I should That's leave. Right. Yeah, yeah. But it's not a thing, you know, I, I would say it's not the type of thing where you can't talk about black culture with a black person. It's not that. Right. It's, it's, and, and what I try to show with the movie is that, you know, part of the, the black uh, identity, well, or at least mine, is, you know, the feeling like... You, you, get, you get in that situation over and over again, it adds up. And it adds up to this feeling that I'm more my race than I am a person, right. in a way, right? So anyway, it, it's, it's, it's amazing watching the audiences experience that together. But I, I also feel like by the end of the, the film, uh, and it, any, any crowd I've seen is, is totally on the same page. 
It, and this idea of identity that you bring up is interesting because uh, you're, you're mixed race. And so is Keegan, actually. Yeah. And so how do you want to get these messages out in a way that you feel like fairly represents all sides? But, I mean, it's, this is the question of my life. You know, this, what, what, is, what does identity mean? Um, I'm, I definitely identify as a black man, um, but I have a white mother. And so growing up with that, um, you know, in that sort of in-between place, you know, in some ways makes you feel uh, connected to um, the, the different sides of your culture, different uh, American identities. Yeah. In, different, in a different way, it makes you feel um, sort of like the outsider of, of being uh, anyone. But um, certainly, as far as I'm, as far as my identity, as far as anyone's concerned in this country, I'm a black man walking down the street. How much of Get Out was intentional and how much... Did you, when you were making it, it just sort of accidentally happened? You're like, oh my gosh, wow, I guess I really did have this bit of a story to tell, and I didn't even realize it at the time. You know, I, I was working on the story for so long. I worked on it for about five years before I even put, uh, started writing the script. And about halfway through um, coming up with it, I sort of realized where these images and these ideas were coming from, and it was this this... This, this racial fear. And um, I specifically sort of found this connection with uh, the, the prison industrial system and, and, and modern, you know, modern-day slavery, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I remember I had a, a, a moment where I, you know, I, stopped, I was having fun writing the script. I had to stop and cry because I, I was literally thinking about, you know, the... The, the, the black men and women that are tossed into jail for most of their lives for maybe, you know, ha- holding less weed than I was smoking when I wrote the movie. Right, right, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. And so that was a very profound moment when I was, I, 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 I didn't set out to talk about that, but halfway through coming up with the, the whole thing, I realized that's what this movie needed to be about was this, this sort of complacent, uh, abduction of of black men. Did you ever worry, like, oh, this is I don't want to not be respectful of the of what I'm trying to say. So how do I express this idea in a way that doesn't bum anyone out and miss the mark? Exactly. I mean, that was the whole thing, and and the whole reason I rec- you know recognized early. I was like, all right, let's let's do this. Let's make a, a horror movie about race, and recognizing the problem is. If it's too funny, if it's too silly, you're not doing justice to the seriousness of the issue. Right. If it's too serious, it's a total bummer. No one wants to go, go to the theater just to see racial violence or torture. So it has to strike this tone. It has to somehow still be fun. Uh, you know, just, just the, the notions of, you know, these, these sort of symbols of white world being sort of villainous, I knew that was kind of funny. Right. I know, I know, you know, Jeremy holding a lacrosse stick is like, <laughs> there's a reference there that's like, oh, my God, right? It's like, it's funny. It's, it's good. Um, but then I also know we had this character, you know, Rod. Right. He's saying what we would say if we were in that situation. He's, right. He's sort of, he's using his human, his black perceptiveness, his TSA Spidey sense. Yes. <laughs> yes. And, and, um, and I think that there's, uh, so... Ultimately, I think that because I play everything, I take those sort of comedic notions and we played everything as real as possible. It's like, okay, we've got this, I mean, when you think about it, totally over-the-top B-movie premise. So let's try and make, what if this was real? And that's kind of, that's how we sort of tried to strike the tone. But even from a directing standpoint, Rod was perfect because he's basically never in the action like, he's separate. Right. So you have the story, you have Chris's story going on in this one area, mm-hmm. and then you cut away, and it's like, it's, it's, it's almost like a Greek play where it's like the guy's doing the asides to the audience, mm-hmm. like, and now this is going to happen, you know. It, he's, he's the observer. Right. So he's, Rod is kind of us. But, yeah, he becomes more of the, the part inter, uh, of the plot than uh, we originally realized he's going to be. And for that, I was very... Um, I was into that, you know, the, the, the Stephen King-ish moments. So the hollering from uh, the Shining, Scatman Crothers character. Yes, yes. Right, who all of a sudden becomes the guy who, ooh, we have, there's a hope in this, this ally we've made early on. 
And then also the, um, the, the sheriff from Misery. Right. Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah, so, that guy, yeah. Both characters who get killed, you know, but, yeah. but there's, this, there's this second wave of intrigue and, like, this, uh, you know, when all hope is lost, there's this hope that, hey, maybe, uh, maybe our, our old ally from the beginning is going to come save the day. We just have to take a quick break. More with Jordan Peele when we come back on Talking. We are back with Jordan Peele. Um, by the way, congratulations. Get Out is the first debut film by a black filmmaker to reach over $100 million at the box office. Crazy accomplishment. Hard to be proud. I know what you're saying. It's hard to be proud in 2017. It's like, yeah. why didn't this happen before? Hard to, hard to be proud to be the first. But I'm just thrilled people are getting the movie and that it is, uh, it's, it's starting conversation, you know? Good. Now, are you going to develop more films that have... The, uh, social message, social thriller, or was this just was this just sort of oh, go, this is this, but I'm going to go do something else differently now? Because what I wonder is, you know, listen, Hollywood responds to money, and this has made a lot of money, and so do you? Are you concerned that other people are going to set out to make social thrillers? I just feel like there's a fine line between social thriller and exploitation. I'll tell you, I mean, I, it is it is hard to do. It is hard to find that line. So, but I, I'm. I love the idea of uh, inspiring more work, um, you know, less on the, the studio level, more on the artist level. Um, but it is, it's, it, it's tough to, to needle that thread. Uh, the, the beauty of horror and, 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 and comedy as well, to me, as art forms to deal with social, social messages, is that there's a built-in sort of contract with the audience and, and the, the filmmaker that with those genres... Um, I might cross the line a little bit. Right. There's an irreverence that's expected. Um, you know, I always say, like, the, the biggest R-rated horror movie of all time is The Exorcist. And, I mean, people saw this movie, and it's a cherished... And, you know, there's some scenes in that movie that are just not okay. Like, you can't, <laughs> you can't be a wholesome American and be like, yeah, Exorcist is a scary. Like, no, yeah. you, can't, you can't do that. So it just kind of goes to show you, with, with the, that genre... You can you can cross the line, which um, I think allows you to deal with difficult issues. Something like race is usually a conversation that once somebody crosses that line, it's the conversation has to stop. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> right. like it's too uncomfortable. It's too much. There's too nobody wants to have that conversation. Are, but if you do it in horror, then the audience is there because it's fun. You have the barrier. You have the barrier of. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's the barrier of, oh, it's not real, it's a horror, it's not, or it's comedy, mm-hmm. it's supposed to be, you know, you can... That's right. This person made this movie for me. I went into the movie knowing, I, knowing it was meant to horrify me, so I'm already, I'm already part of this conversation. Um, and if it's effective, you know, that's what, you know, Keegan and I always felt like with, uh, with comedy. It's, you, can, you can talk about anything um, if you get the laugh. right. If you don't get the laugh, you shouldn't have gone there. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's part of the tightrope act of yeah. comedy, too, is, like, can you talk about, can you make this funny? And if you make it funny, I mean, just look at, like, it's what, what South Park gets away with is so blows me away. Yeah. And then I kind of wonder, part of it is probably like, well, it's South Park. They, you know, they were sort of grandfathered in in a pre-social media era. You know, I feel like if South Park started now... There would be social media campaigns, you know, and against it. Mm-hmm. And but it's like, oh, that's South Park. But also, you know, I, I they do write. I mean, like a lot of stuff in the show is still is funny, you know, yeah. and they do get away with stuff because it's funny and it doesn't just seem like they're trying to make. I, I think there's some of it's in the motivation too. Are you just saying stuff to shock people and get a reaction, or is there a real statement behind the comedy? Right. They have, I mean, they, they do some of the best uh, social satire ever, right? They they just know humanity and what's, you know, what's what's wrong with us so right. well. Um, you know, I think, and I think in the beginning it was like this idea that oh, they're because they're cartoons and they're cute, they can get away with another language. layer of separation. But the, um, you know, as you, as they've gone on, like you said, it's. Um, there, there's this, yeah, there's this understanding that they're kind of untouchable in a way. Like they don't, they don't care what you think, right? And we know that, so they can, they can kind of do it. Uh, there's something about being unapologetic and and also uh, 
you know, uh, consistent. Like, they get everybody. Right, right. It's acro- across the board. That's right. But I, I worry that there's no... Um, people aren't interested in conversations anymore. I, I worry that what social media is, is slowly doing to us, and I owe, I think, pretty much my whole career to social media, but I think what it's slowly doing to us is eroding our ability to have meaningful conversations because it's so much about getting attention and so much about getting likes and so much about that people just shout at each other. Mm-hmm. And there's no, and you realize, oh, I don't think anyone really cares about conversation. I mean, not anyone, but I don't think a lot of people really care about understanding and compassion and conversation. They're just frustrated and they just want to be heard. So people are just shouting at each other back and forth. And there's no, no one ever steps back and says, well, wait a minute. What if we really tried to understand one another? Yeah. So how, how do you recommend that people actually, and I know this is a dumb, it feels, sounds like a dumb question, Maybe it is, but how do people really have conversations? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a really good question. And, I'd, like, the Internet, yeah, it's, it, the Internet's a, a monster. But it's also, <laughs> it's, 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 but it's, it's crazy because it's, you know, in some ways it's, so, you know, it's a, this huge technological thing. Like television, it's brought us closer. It's made the world smaller in a way. So you have to acknowledge the good that it brings. Like, we live in a world where now, like, Somebody could go home right now and fall in love with their bride in Australia. Right. You know what I mean? So that there, is, there, are, there is bringing people together, but there's also, like, bringing together of people that kind of should be apart. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, it's like, that, that, that's where the, the hatred comes. Like, you, we're closer to our enemies, too. Yeah. And then when you add the, fa- the factor of the anonymity, the mask of the Internet, that's when people's demons really start coming out. It is, it is um, you know, I, I, I keep saying, yes, free speech is a right. Anonymous speech is a privilege. And because so many people, it's just my feeling because I feel like so many people, and, and there, are, there are times where being able to be anonymous is, is vital to someone, especially if, if there are human rights violations or if they're legitimately in danger. But I feel like so many people weaponize anonymity yeah. online that it just... It's like, you're fucking ruining it for the good people. Come on. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I think it's, it's kind of like a, you know, a Wild West frontier, right? The, right. The, the regulations, the laws. It's Deadwood. The internet's Deadwood. Deadwood. Yeah. And the dudes running around Deadwood with Jason masks are like the, the dudes you, you don't want to talk to. Right. You know, they, they, they're just so, chaotic evil. They just they're want, chaotic evil. Yeah, they just want to slash and burn yeah. no matter they're, what. Yeah, they're the Joker. Yeah. And it's like, okay, we have this to deal with uh, now. And uh, and feels like one of those guys is the president. Do you... I think he would even agree at a certain point. Yeah, I'm surprised the, uh, I'm su- I'm surprised the, uh, the, the swearing in music wasn't just... <laughs> yeah, that's a good bit. Someone, someone can and is about to cut that together. Right <laughs> They're gonna cut together. Yeah, and our national anthem should just be an air horn. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> do you feel uh, a, a a greater sense of responsibility now because you are you've become uh, Jordan was just uh, placed into Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential People. Congratulations. <laughs> Absolutely deserved. But do you feel pressure like, oh, do I have to be the voice of a generation now? Or do you want to be that? Or, you know, nurturing other people and helping them with their projects. Like, do you feel the weight of that responsibility now? Yeah, I do feel it. You know, part of the the strangest thing with all of this is that, you know, I made a movie that had a... uh, uh, my, My intent was to... was mischief, in a way. You know, my intent was to make something that was... Um, not not okay, right? And that would kind of provoke response, and that something that was irreverent that sort of crossed that line in order to talk about it. And so now I feel like part part certain images in this movie have become greater than me or the movie. Image like the sunken place, right? Right. It, I, I feel like there's this deep uh, resonance with um, the black community especially, with this idea that, that you know, this, this place is a, a, manif- a, a psychological manifestation that is, uh, imprisons us and keeps our voices from being heard. 
and, and our opinions expressed. Um, and so I realized, you know, for some people that, you know, I, I, I remember seeing a tweet somewhere where somebody was like, hey, I want to do a parody of Get Out. And someone else jumped on them and was like, hey, the work that Jordan Peele did was, you know, that was, uh, that was to be respected. Right. You know, you don't do, you know, and I'm like, I'm like Key and Peele, like two, three years ago, I was doing like puppy dog iced tea, you know. Like, so, but it's, it's hard for me to make that, that transition. Like, oh, you know what? It's like this, this movie is about fun, but for some people, some of the ideas in here aren't laughing matters. Right. And it, there's, there's it, it, it's, I'm in awe. Of of th- this watching this project kind of influence other artists and, and, and things like that. So yeah, I, I my my goal is to kind of is to continue to make stories, to continue to push um, representation of you know all, all the untapped voices and faces the best I can. You said something that I thought was very powerful, where you said, "Well, there are certain stories that only." black people can tell. There are certain stories that only black directors can tell. And, you know, I, I, I realized this was the case while making this movie and while writing this movie. Halfway through writing it was my eureka moment that I was the only person who could direct it. Um, but I, I think part of what was holding me back from even thinking it was a makeable film was, was feeling like Hollywood is, is, um, is, is white, and that most people don't know who directs movies and whatnot. Right. So, uh, you know, when you watch a movie, you're not thinking about the director. So I, I felt like, look, if my movie comes out and people watching it and presume, because it's Hollywood, they presume it's a white director, this movie has a completely different um, vibe to it. Right. right? You know, can you trust this movie? And um, so um, I think that's why... why I became a, 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 an important part of the story of bringing this movie out in, in a way. It's to say, well, look, this is what happens when, you know, Hollywood gives a, a black director a chance at making a, a, a horror movie about race. Right. Um, but, but, yeah, it's, it's very interesting because I, there, there are. There was moments, that, that party scene. I felt like that party scene, you, you have to have been there to direct that. And also, everyone in the movie is fantastic, too, by the way. Like, all the performances yeah. are, are phenomenal. This is why I love directing, is because I can, I can, you know, if I'm, if I'm acting in something, I can, I'm like, you know, you, it's like hearing your own voice. And it's like, no, please, God, no. You, can hate, you, you can't quite bring yourself to enjoy it as an audience. Um, directing this movie, I, I get to watch these actors perform. And I really just truly feel like each one of them is, is, a, is a masterpiece. Uh, do you, it, it, because of who you, because of, you know, your background in improv and sketch and key and peel, was anyone surprised that you didn't want to be in the movie? Mm. I don't think, I don't think surprised. I, you know, there was a lot of people who asked and I think there was some interest early on, but a, it was people who didn't quite, you know, couldn't quite wrap their head around the tone I was going for. Right. And I thought that, you know, if I'm in it, it's like, oh, okay, so this is his... This is his scary movie, you know right. what I mean? And, and which, I, you know, I love scary movies, so don't, don't get me wrong. But this, <laughs> you know, I, I didn't want to give people the idea this was a Kean Peele-flavored right. movie. Because it's so, it, 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 it has its own thing going on. Um, and then I'm not that uh, big a fan of myself. Really? <laughs> well, I mean, look, look, I mean, the, I, the, you know, the two roles I could have conceivably played would have been Chris and Rod. Right. And, I mean, look at the dudes that I got to play Chris and Ron. Right. I mean, that's, it's a different level. Directing, to me, is, scares the shit out of me. And I want you to direct. But I know you do, and I yeah. don't know why. Well, because, look, I mean, the, the way you consume things, it's, 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 all, it's all like, it's a matter, you know, Brad, Bradley Whitford said it to me once. He was like, you know, directing is, it's taste. It's all taste. If you have the good taste, I know that's your fear that you're going to make the wrong choice. <laughs> of course it is. Like that. But the fact that you scrutinize these, 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 you would put the right scrutiny on it, and then you would uh, rely on the, the advice of the people around you. Well, I know, but we. So before, when I went and said hi to Jordan in the dressing room, we kind of got off on a. Uh, I got us onto a tangent about Ghostbusters, and there's uh, <laughs> typical. Uh, <laughs> as you, and, as and, and there's a. Uh, 
there's a there's a there are some there were some cut scenes on the Ghostbusters DVD from just stuff that was cut out. Um, and if you know the movie Back to Front, as I do, it was interesting to see. But they did this thing where Aykroyd and Bill Murray were like that SNL thing where you have SNL people on, they're going to do characters in the thing. So they they play these two guys, and I think they might have been like homeless guys or just old guys walking through Central Park or something. And I watched that scene. I was like, holy shit, I am glad they cut this out. Yeah. It's not good. It's not good. And so, so I think about that, and I think, you're Ivan Reitman. You have two of the biggest comedy stars in your movie, and you're about to cut out a scene where they're, you know, doing... Ca- How do you know to do that? Like, it just... There are a million wrong yeah. ways to present a movie, and, like, maybe one or two right ways but to you know present what? a you movie. Had, you had, in your instinct, you had the right answer. But I, <laughs> I just said, I know that's bad. I didn't say... <laughs> that's, that's all you need. Yeah, that's I don't know. That's all you need as a director. I know that's bad. I know that's bad. I know that's bad. I know that's bad. Was it... But, I mean... It, this, this was your first movie, so yeah. how, how did you handle it as a, as a director? Was there a lot of... Uh... A lot of emotional support from my wife. <laughs> I was, it, was so, it, was so dif- it was such a difficult... Uh, str- I mean, everything is coming at you. So, mu- so many decisions, so many choices, problems arise, and um, it was so fun. And it was so fun, fun to be in that zone, but by, you know, by the middle of the process, at the end, I would be like... Baby, I want to come home. <laughs> it was, you know, it was nuts. But you, you, you just—I mean, you—you you ask people. You don't be a sh- don't be afraid to ask people's opinion. What do you think of this? Right. Well, you like this one or this one? And you don't think they're going to go? You're the director. You're supposed to know. Yeah, well, yes. If they do that, you move to the next person. Oh, gotcha. Well, what do you think then? <laughs> um, yeah, and it's it's uh, it's, it's old timey. When you direct, it's all... It's, so you wore, the, all, the, you wore the pants I and the big the pants, bull horn. And the, all right, and go. Places, everybody. I had a little, you know, cigar, a little monocle. You, Joan Crawford. Joan. <laughs> Where is she? Where's Joan Crawford? But you, do you, did you... As a sketch performer, because I, I, I'm always fascinated by the way that um, stand-up and, and sketch improv people diverge, because I feel like we are all definitely from the same magical pool, yeah. and that pool is uh, dirty, broken water. But, uh, <laughs> but I toyed with sketch and improv in the beginning, and then I realized, oh, I don't like being other people. I just like being me. But then I find, well, sketch people really don't like doing stand-up for the most part because they like being in character. Yeah. So are you comfortable being yourself as a director, or... Do you do you did you come on like and play the role of it? Like, did you have a character, like the right. role of a character? Sort of brilliant the way you broke it down. It's that you know I went into sketch and improv. I think because I was unclear what I could offer the world that would be um, understood or accepted right. by them. So being in character was m- much more comfortable for me. Um, by the time by the time I made this move, and and and, and Key and Peele was actually huge. Like that's. I started doing stand-up for the first time in preparation for Key and Peele just to see, like, well, what is, what's, what's, what is, who, what's my identity? What am I, what do I, if the show has my name on it, what am I talking about? Right. Um, and then that, you know, that kind of helped inform the show and evolved me as, uh, uh, helped me evolve as an artist. By the time I was um, directing this movie, I, I feel like I was just very clear with the vision of the movie. So, you know, I just knew I had to facilitate that thing. Um, to me, uh, the, the way to direct is um, to uh, have fun with people and to help them have fun. So, you know, I, I, I try and use my comedy to get laughs yeah. during the thing. Like, while I'm directing, I, you know... You know, I, I, I direct as Obama. <laughs> time. Are we ready? You know, maybe I'll listen to Obama. You're going to listen to Jordan. Uh, and that, 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 this, like, breaks attention for the breaks people. The, you get, like, a, 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 a two laugh. You get a little murmur, <laughs> which is, like, you know, f- f- 5 p.m. On a, uh, on a Thursday is, like, needed juice, I think. Yeah, but, that, but then you get to that crucial point where you're like, hmm, all right, it's going okay do I pull out now or double down or on double it? Down. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, uh, it, it becomes like, a, yeah, it became like a little bit of a, these little mini sets you get to do, these little mini. But yeah, it, it, for me, it's, it's keep, keep it fun. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not about having a set where there's, there's uh, drama or tension or right. anger or uh, di- disrespect. You know, it's, the, the whole thing, everybody should be... Uh, you know, gets rid of their ego for this idea. 
Well, I feel like that's going to be easier for you now, especially because now that you've made this movie, I, I feel like people are really going to come in now and go, oh. I mean, it might, you might be in a weird situation where you just go, hey, yeah, I'm just Jordan. Yeah, well, you know, hey, just chill out. I'm, everything's fine. It is weird. You, you, you kind of want to uh, replicate the uh, conditions of the first one because it, it did, the balance of it kind of worked. Um, so it, uh, I am, I'm, it's going to be... Well, there's going to, I think there's going to be a, a, a reverence <laughs> that you might not be entirely comfortable with. Because you may not feel that way about yourself. You know, it's like when people, especially if you're, if you're a comedian, you probably <laughs> kind of hate yourself a little bit, <laughs> you know? And there's stuff about yourself you're not happy about, and comedy is armor, and it's defensive, you know? Uh-huh. And, uh, and so, you know, now I think because of the importance of this film, both socially and also financially, I think, you know, peop- you're going to have to get used to that a little bit or try to figure out how to, like... Just, you know, like ground, ground people a little bit around you. Yeah, I mean that's interesting. It, 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 you may be right, and, and and one of the 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 hard things to accept, but one of the most amazing things about this project is that there was no there was no uh, proof that this was going to work. Right. Um, so so everybody that did the project really took a leap of faith with me. And um, that that was just like that was incredibly meaningful because it's the type of thing. It's like, hey, uh, you know, Brad, Catherine, um, you want to play these this weird um, liberal, elitist, racist villain? You know, it's like there's so <laughs> all those many, words together. You know, what do you think? Some ways that I mean, there's so many ways that could ruin their career. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like there's, there's there's ways the movie could work and it could ruin your career. Right. So um, to get to get that level of faith and trust from such talented uh, actors, established actors, is like pretty crazy. Uh, we have to take a quick break. Yeah. When we come back. I want to talk about uh, Key and Peele. I want to have audience members ask some questions of their own. Mm-hmm. We're going to hear from you guys also at home. If you want to be a part of the show, at Talking on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You'll find exclusive updates about upcoming guests. And you can ask any questions that you might have using the hashtag TalkingHardwick. We'll be right back with Jordan Peele. Welcome back to Talking with Chris Hardwick. My guest, Jordan Peele. Enough out of this mouth. Let's, uh, let's let someone from the audience ask a question. Get on up here. Hi. My name's Jillian. I'm here from Atlanta. Hello. Hi. My question is, were you ever fearful that Get Out wouldn't be perceived well because of your reputation as a comedian? You know, there was there was some of that. There was, I mean, the fear was, are people going to presume it's something else? And how do you get people to understand what it is without showing them the movie? Um, which I think is still kind of the case. Like, you can, you can't, you kind of can't really. Com- there's not a lot to compare it to. So yeah, that was that 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 was a fear. But I, you know, I, I also knew that it would be a a welcome change. From my from my comedy because uh, it's uh, you know the the, the comedy the, the the fun is there the comedy is there and then there's some other things going on too. Here, this is for, you. for you. This one's for you. Let's see what the internet wants to know. It's S D O T K T K Hannah. I just saw Get Out and OMG Jordan Peele, you are brilliant. So, these are all caps. So many layers, so much symbolism, so deep. You're amazing. Uh, and then Mac KG Forever says Get Out was amazing. Jordan Peele, you did an awesome job. Uh, Quesadilla Bad says Let's not forget about Get Out. Come Oscar season. Jordan Peele's direction and screenplay is amazing. I think it totally. You probably aren't even thinking about that sort of a thing, but I think it absolutely. Oh, yeah, I mean, look, I, yeah, no, well, hey, hey, come on. <laughs> I mean, look, it's it's it's. I'm 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 so uh, I'm so living this moment here. It's it's I couldn't even. Uh, but if the that. but if the academy, I mean, if if the idea is like, hey, let's celebrate fresh, innovative, important films. It's completely fresh, completely innovative, really. Imp- I mean, it's like it. Ch- Listen, wow, thank you're you. hearing it here first. Very nice of you. Very nice. Uh, Very nice. If it doesn't happen, forget I said this. <laughs> <laughs> I will. Um, I will. And then also. Uh, Lungwai on Twitter says, Get Out is amazing, balls to the wall from the word go, a perfect opening scene, great score and sound. Yeah. The score was phenomenal too. Amazing. I mean, Michael Abels is the, is the composer, and he's, he's a guy who hasn't, he hasn't done a film before. He, he's a real master of classical, jazz, tribal, all, all, a real eclectic guy. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, 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 I needed somebody who could put together a new sound. 
you know, I needed something. That I, I, needed, I knew the movie was new, a new idea, and the only way to tell it would be with this new sound. So he, you know, he, I, I asked him to put together something that felt like a haunted Negro spiritual. Right. You know, and, or, uh, you know, some, some, something decidedly black voices, de- you know, definitely black voices, but with this, um, this darkness that we haven't, we haven't, we don't hear typically in black music. And he, he nailed Were it. Were the words saying anything? Was it saying anything? Yeah, the whole uh, Siki Lisa was kind of this, it was, it was kind of an extension of the, the warning, right? Get out. Mm-hmm. You know, the warning that we scream at the screen when people don't do the smart thing. <laughs> Get out. And uh, so, the, 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 you know, the warning is, you know, trust your ancestors, uh, run, beware. It's sort of these warnings. And then, of course, we get into, uh, you know, Redbone of Childish Gambino, right. which, which sort of s- sums it all up in Stay Woke. Um, there is an, uh, this is K. Nicole 74 on Instagram. Is there an alternate ending to get out? If so, why did you feel the need for an alternate ending? Mm. Mm. You don't feel the need for an alternate ending. <laughs> <laughs> it, it kind of happens. Um, that, you know, the, 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 when the Blu-ray DV, DVD comes out, you'll be very... Uh, Excited to know that there is another ending on there. There's Interesting. A, yes, there's another ending. Uh, I don't know how much to give away. You know, some of it's out there. I, I will say it doesn't go as well <laughs> in this ending. Um, but I, I had written many endings. I'd written many versions of the scripts, many endings. And, uh, the, you know, the, the, the original one we shot, um, I think, uh, left people uh, wanting something different <laughs> it just didn't feel without giving yeah. it away i without think we can all kind of you can guess all what figure it out but for, for me as well i you know unsatisfied I was, I was so excited when i was able to go get the money to go reshoot the the ending that i, I knew would, would would really work yeah uh was there an, a, a a really insane ending that you're like well i'm not even gonna bother with this one but well it'd be crazy if we did yeah. this what was that well there was one there was one a, a very early one that ends with it took place in a gated community, which I kind of pulled back from that. And, uh, but by the end, Rod comes to the break in the gated community, finds his way in. He's looking for uh, Chris, um, and he sees Chris looking in a window in, on Main Street. And he goes, Chris! And Chris turns to him and goes, I assure you, I don't know who you're talking about. Oh. Here's the thing, you know, part of making this movie... You know, at several stops, I, I realized something about myself, my identity as a filmmaker. And that is, you know, I think there's, there's a lot of great artists that, you know, approach a, move, a movie like any kind of art. This is a piece of self-expression. Uh, if you get it, you get it. If you don't, that's, that's your problem. Right. And I kind of respect those people. Like, those are, that's badass. Right. But, but to me, you know, I, I think probably from my comedy background... I want to make. I want. I want to serve the audience. I want them to get paid back for what they've they've given me with their attention. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm thinking, what's what does the audience want? Right. At every turn, what does the audience want out of this movie? Um, I don't want to. I don't want to disappoint them. Yeah. Well, I think that's important because, especially, I think that also comes from improv and sketch training, where you realize as a performer, you are forming a relationship with the audience, mm-hmm. and it's like in life. You can, you know, it's fun to have compromises. Sometimes people come along and they're like, I am how I am. Fuck you if you don't like it. And you go, wow, that person's really attractive. But if you spent more than a week with them, you go, this is the <laughs> fucking worst narcissist. <laughs> you know, right. it's like it's not a, right. when it's just for them, yeah. it's, it's not always. As... And I had always sort of thought, oh, man, that's what you have to be to be a director. You have to be, you have to be like a, a, a singular vision and unwavering and uncompromising. It's not that at all. Uh, you have to compromise a lot. It's just you have to know what can't be compromised. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, so it was. It was. It, but it was very exciting for me. You know, I, I knew I'm. I'm asking a lot of the audience. I'm asking you to come and sit in this movie. That's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be tense at times. And it's going to discuss uncomfortable. You know, it's going to be it's about race. Yeah. You know, it's like, do I want to go sit in a room and? hear about race for two hours not really but um so so if they're gonna come i have to reward them with entertainment we're gonna take a quick break more with jordan peele when we come back 
Welcome back to Talk with Chris Hardwick. Tonight, Jordan Peele is talking with Chris Hardwick, me. Can you please remind the audience what you went to school for? So I, I majored in puppetry. <laughs> so I was a chick magnet. Um, yeah. Yeah, puppetry is the major that, that basically screams, I've got home problems. <laughs> No, I, I look. I will create the life I wish I had. <laughs> no, I uh, look. I, I, I was into. Uh, I was a visual artist first, as, as a kid growing up, and then I found performing. I was at this uh, musical theater group called Tada uh-huh. in New York, so, uh, for kids. That's really amazing original uh, shows, and so I got the acting bug, and I wanted to be a director. By the time I was thirteen, by the time I went to school, I went to Sarah Lawrence College, um, and I went there because it was. It looked awesome, and there was girls, and um, <laughs> it's a liberal arts college. So right. I, I took that to mean, okay, I'm going to declare my major, which, puppetry. That's, <laughs> that's what I want to do. And by the way, they have a puppetry class. But um, by the second year, I had fallen in love with, you know, what I consider the best puppet, the one you're born with, right? Like, so this... Uh, Your penis. My... my, my... <laughs> I did, a, I, did a, I did a puppetry of the penis uh, tribute, tribute What show. time is it? Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> such a strange... But, yeah, I know it, you're basically saying, like, you are the puppet. So I'm the puppet, right? So that was my thing. And then I, I, I left college to go to study improv and, and sketch in Chicago. And which, you know, I, I think no matter what sort of comedy discipline you're into, it's good to... I, I think good direct... Cause, Sketch and improv are all about teamwork, and stand-up is all about, you know, taking responsibility for everything. And that's why, and that's why I think sketch and improv people are, are better at doing stand-up than stand-ups are at doing sketch and improv, because you really do have to understand how to work as a team, and you have to trust people, and you can't, you shouldn't railroad the scene, and that's what stand-ups do, you know, so. Yeah, I mean, well, stand-ups, yeah, yeah I mean, I, I definitely, and also with, with sketch and improv, I think it's a different type of personality. There's a safety in numbers, and there's a, and, and there, there's a desire to, to collaborate right. there. In a, in a, um, I know a lot of stand-ups, is, it's, it seems a little more competitive a field. Well, your wife is a stand-up. My wife is a stand-up. It's a great stand-up. Yeah, fantastic stand-up. And R- Little Rel Howery is a stand-up. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I think uh, they, you know, they're good examples of what a stand-up gets in training that sketch and improvisers don't, which is they know themselves, and they know their humor, they know who they are. Right. And so the performance that Rel does in Get Out, for example, as Rod, it's so... It's kind of the most, it's, it's strangely the most realistic, per, you know, character in a way. And you just believe this guy. He's being real. I mean, he, he probably has, um, you know, he probably has, you know, less formal training than any of the other people. But he really connects because he knows his voice. Right. And he's so comfortable in his voice. And uh, it's, uh, it, it, it's so cool for me to... Uh, especially as a director, to learn, figure out how to work with the different actors and different styles because everybody's, everybody's, um, everybody's got a unique way of working. Yeah. Did the sketch and improv training ever provide any real-world application? I don't know if this is real-world, but there was this weird program that I, I made like a quick buck on where they would, there was this test that they would give to... Uh, prospective principals of public schools in Chicago. And part of the test was that I, this improviser, local improviser, would come in and play either a kid or a teacher <laughs> that they would have to, like, discipline or deal with. And then at the end of this, I would be like, <laughs> I would be like, I think uh, Mr. Bugsy would make a good principal. <laughs> Mr. Wilcott, not so much. So it's kind of like a cross between 21 Jump Street and So You Think You Can Dance? <laughs> yeah. And it was way too much power for the, for the, the kid from Improv Olympic who pops over and is like, this, you know, essentially deciding the fate of the future. But it was, you know, it was like these little scenarios. Like I would... Uh, you know, either I would be playing a teacher who had um, crossed the boundary or something. And right. this principal had to be like, well, you are going to have to be a relieved of your duty. <laughs> uh, sir, you know, you're not welcome back here. I don't know why he's like old Louisiana. I don't know. You know, <laughs> you know Chicagoan. Um, 
<laughs> but yeah, that that was a, a weird one, and um, um, but but fun. I mean, the, the improv to me is one of the great things. Like anybody can benefit from taking improv class. Yes, doesn't matter what you do. It is something that will I, I think enhances your life. If if nothing more than the fact that it's fun. Yeah, and you. I know you did improv in Amsterdam, right? The Boom Chicago. Yeah. You did yeah. improv in Amsterdam. So what is what is Amsterdam improv like? <laughs> well, it's you know, so Boom Chicago is this amazing company that sort of operates like Second City style improv and sketch, um, very much based on Amsterdam and the and you know, you know they perform in English obviously because you know it turns out. Amsterdam has mostly uh, English speakers. Am I saying there. it wrong? Yeah, I know. I I, I purposely made the. I, I said Amsterdam in an earlier and in, in an earlier interview. And someone corrected you. No, I just realized. You know what? I'm gonna start going with Amsterdam. <laughs> <laughs> Are you doing that just to f- with people? No, it's it's actually that's how actually the Dutch present it. That? That's how the Dutch present Amsterdam. Because I can't be like, yeah, I lived in Amsterdam for three <laughs> years, like. I think it was like a Holland uh, newspaper or something I was talking uh, to. We say I... Holand. Yeah, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> actually, that's actually kind of appropriate. Yeah, there you go. It is the land of hope. I mean, it technically is. <laughs> it was right there the whole time. <laughs> what is the craziest thing that happened at, at Amsterdam? Get <sighs> <laughs> Amsterdam. Amsterdam. All the, all the Dutch yes. tweets are going to come rolling gonna in. start rolling in. Yes. <laughs> this was kind of cl- uh, legendary. I mean, we were doing an improv game. Called okay. the dream. Okay, and uh, you know, I, the dream is something you get on stage. You get a volunteer on stage. You ask them about their day, and then you do an improv game about you know their day. You right. start showing them. So Burt Reynolds is in the crowd. He's in the audience. <laughs> Got him, man, Mr. Burt Reynolds. Come on up. So he gets up and he's, uh, you know, he's answering the questions. And at some point, some kind of rowdy British guy in, in like the back row, so he's going, "Hey, what about your hair, mate?" <laughs> you know, he's like. What was it come off your head, mate? Oh, no. You know, this, and so, like, everyone's like... <gasps> and Burt Reynolds just stops the show, and he goes, who said that? <laughs> you. Come here. And the whole crowd's like... <gasps> and we're, like, applauding, and the guy comes to stage, and the guy just totally comes with just red face. Burt Reynolds stands on stage, and he goes, I'll give you to the count of ten for you to pull this wig off my head, as you called it. And, it, and if you don't, if you wait to the count of ten, I'm gonna knock you out. And but so, look, long, there's no, there's no real twist or ending to this. It was, it was the crowd went crazy at that moment. Um, was but, he serious about it? You know, he was wor- half working the crowd, but nobody, certainly the guy on stage was just like. <laughs> it was just such a powerful moment, and it was like watching Burt Reynolds take this like. Thing that could have been humiliating and belittling, and turned it in this one the entire room. It's like that's that's a, that's a showman. And then Burt Reynolds beat the living shit. Burt Reynolds <laughs> took the guy outside, killed beat him, him with his, his bare hands, killed him with his bare hands, and uh, and uh, the 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 guy was buried with Burt Reynolds uh, <laughs> wig. <Man. laughs> he got the wig. He got the wig. I had to kill him. Before we go to break, you should know you can get the extended version of this interview as a Nerdist podcast. Go to AMC. Talking for bonus clips, exclusive content, links to the podcast for every one of our episodes. More with Jordan Peele in a moment. We'll be right back. Hello, we are back with Mr. Jordan Peele. Um, let's have some. Let's have the audience uh, ask a couple questions if they want to. Uh, what What is your name? Hi, I'm Kanji from Detroit, and my question is: If you could pick any Key and Peele skit to make into a movie, what would you pick? Um, you know, my wife always asked me for a Megan movie. Megan and Andre. Um, so, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe that. Cool. Excellent. It's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> what do I have for you? You get, you get a little Jordan Peele signed paraphernalia. Um, how about that? Yeah, how about that? Oh, this would be great. Uh, I'll let you pick. Which one? The top. Okay, Here the top. Go. Here yeah. you go. Signed by Jordan Peele. All right, great. That's a... Uh, that's a, uh, an amazing artist that uh, is, I, oh, I don't know who it is. We have a video message. Uh, take a look. Hi, I'm Doug from Minneapolis, Minnesota, and my question is, what was your favorite character to play or your favorite sketch from Key and Peele? Favorite character to play? Oh, the Continental Breakfast guy. 
Okay. You know, Conrad. That's what we named him the second time. But, uh, yeah, it was, it's like this guy, this, this, this tramp character. He's, he's the guy who goes to the Continental Breakfast, and, and he's like, hmm, Continental, you say. <laughs> okay. I like the sound of that. So all, all the continents. <laughs> Each one. Hmm. All five of them. Very nice. Not too shabby. What was your writing process for that? I mean, because this. There was this. It was this right here. Because it is, and we talked a little bit about this when you're on the podcast, but you know, you're doing the show, and you guys, I feel like you really did go out on top on that show. Did it feel like, ah, you know, if we're going to overstay our welcome, or like, ah, we just don't, did you just sort of, did did you just get exhausted from the process? Because it seems like a pretty exhausting. It's a little all of that. You know, I think. I think we would have known if we could have, uh, if we had a better season in us. And I just think we, you know, it, it wasn't feeling like that. And, right. you know, for, you know, we, we both had, pro- you know, he's, he's an amazing dramatic actor. He's, he's very interested in, in doing more, more of that. Yeah. Um, I had this movie that, you know, I, I felt was, uh, you know, gonna, you know was, that's where my passion was taking me. So it was just, you know, it was, it was very easy for us, really, and it was great. It, it, it felt great to be able to do. You know, we had a lot of fans reach out and, you know, wanted, wanted us to stay. But, um, you know, I think we knew we had uh, m- m- things that were pulling us. Let's take a question from our audience. Get on up here and ask your question. Hi, I'm Josh from Michigan. Um, what, who are your first comedic influences? First comedic influence, I, I think um, Steve Martin, Martin Lawrence, the two Martins. <laughs> <laughs> Together again. Together. <laughs> Actually, that would be the best movie right now. I would watch that. Which Steve Martin album? Well, for me, it was, you know, it was, it was the movies. You know, it, right. was, it, was, it was like Dirty, well, Jerk, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, yep. um, you know, Little Shop of Horrors. Yep. Um, and then Martin was, was the, the show Martin, which is, you know, I think the, the kind of the best performance, the best sitcom performance uh, of all time. Dirty Rotten Scoundrels directed by who? Uh, Frank Oz. Who was what? A, A puppeteer. puppeteer! Hey, come on. It's Miss Piggy. That's right. <laughs> and there you go. All right. <laughs> we have a video message. Let's take a look. Hi, my name is Lily from Edmonds, Washington, and my question is, what is the first movie you want to show your future child? <gasps> oh, that is, because congratulations, Thank by you. the way, on the future child. I think The Omen. Put it up by the crib. What could yeah. go wrong? Put it yeah. up, repeat. Um, Kids love Damien. You know, I'm, I'm excited for the day I can show my, my kid um, uh, the never-ending story. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah. I think Muppet Movie for me. Muppet Movie. Muppet, Muppet movie. movie broke my heart because of Sweetums. Oh, hey, yeah. guys. Don't forget Wait for me. me. Um, as, as we are letting you go, one thing that I like to ask people at the end of the show is just some bit of wisdom. I mean, you... Uh, absolutely are an inspiration to people because I feel like, especially coming out of Key and Peele, I think there were so many different ways that you could have gone that were more comedy-based or more, you know, I'm going to be a comedic actor, but you really made this thing uh, that was very important to you, and you saw it through, and it, it absolutely paid off in every way possible. So, what, you know, what's a piece of wisdom that you would say to creators out there? I, you know, th- th- this is what I say to creators. The the biggest thing that stops us from doing what we're doing is things is, is we don't follow the fun of it. Don't follow the practicality. Don't follow what's going to get this sold. What's going to make this good? If you're making a movie, you're writing your favorite movie that doesn't exist. And there's nothing more fun than that. If you think about it, if you think about going home, you get to imagine what's the movie you wish somebody would make for you. Um, Follow the fun. Excellent. Jordan Peele, I want to thank you so much. Get Out is available on digital right now. Blu-ray and DVD, uh, May 23rd. And always check us out at Talking on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to find out who's going to be on the show, how you can be a part of it. We could not do the show without you, so thank you so much. I'm Chris Hardwick. At Hardwick on the tweets, the Instagram, the Facebook. Good night. Don't text and drive. Jordan Peele. Jordan Peele. Has been my guest. Now leaving Nerdist.com. 
Enjoy your burrito. For more than two centuries, the White House has been the stage for some of the most dramatic scenes in American history. Inspired by the hit podcast American History Tellers, Wondery and William Morrow present the new book, The Hidden History of the White House. Each chapter will bring you inside the fierce power struggles, the world-altering decisions, and shocking scandals that have shaped our nation. You'll be there when the very foundations of the White House are laid in 1792, and you'll watch as the British burn it down in 1814. Then you'll hear the intimate conversations between FDR and Winston Churchill as they make plans to defeat Nazi forces in 1941. And you'll be in the Situation Room when President Barack Obama approves the raid to bring down the most infamous terrorist in American history. Pre-order The Hidden History of the White House now in hardcover or digital editions wherever you get your books.